have our ways of facing rainy days, and somehow we survive. Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. Welcome to Modern Widow Podcast. And Fran, we are still in our It's All About Love series. Today we are bringing back Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti, the senior pastor at First Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Ann Arbor. But before Manish comes on, Fran, you know what time it is. It's time for Weekend Shenanigans Notable Events. My shenanigans notable event is going to be very short and sweet. It's something uniquely Michigan. Last Saturday was the annual rivalry football game between the University of Michigan uh, and Michigan State. We went out to uh, to watch the game, actually watched the game in a couple of different places, um, had a great time. Um, I'm not going to say who my team is, um, but let's just say it wasn't our day. Uh, We saw old friends. We met a bunch of new friends. And like I said, it's short and sweet because as you say, Cher, as Forrest Gump said, and that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Okay. I have a feeling I know what team you were rooting for for some reason. (laughs) Well, my notable event is that Northern Michigan received our first major snowfall. And where I live in Boyne City, we got between three to five inches. But some areas up north received nine to 12 inches of snowfall. And so driving was a little slippery. Walking around was a little slippery. But by the weekend, everything will be melted because we're going to be in the high 50s for the weekend. So those are my notable events. Fran, people have been enjoying our love letter segment, and we have a few more to share with our audience. We do. I think we're following a short and sweet theme um, this week. I have two very short ones, uh, but I love them both. The first one is, it's you because no one else makes sense. I love that. I do. Uh, But this, this was my favorite out of the two. When you hold my hands, it tickles my heart. Oh, you're right. I yeah. Love that. Yes, I do too. Mine's a little longer. And this was written by a Captain Douglas Talbot, who was an English soldier to Dorothy Turrell. And it was written May 14, 1915. He was killed in action on June 4, 1915. So he writes to her, Oh, you simply have been haunting me lately. I have really been able to picture you. I suppose it is in these times our souls yearn more than ever for communion. I see you now in your dear gray dress, now in the town kit with the fur around your neck, leaning against the mantel and saying, I want to be kissed by you. What a fool I was. You would not have to wait so long now. So he wrote that in May. She probably received it, and he was killed in June. Oh, and he had just said you won't have to wait that long. Right, yes. She ended up having to wait forever. Yes. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah, um, I just found this one and I thought, even though it's sad, the letter is so lovely and sweet. Oh, it's definitely a love letter. Yes, it is. We are welcoming back Reverend Manish Mishra Marzetti, Senior Minister at the First Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Ann Arbor. And we are discussing matchmaking and matchmakers today. I am one who is so interested in matchmaking and matchmakers. And I have actually fixed up in my life three couples who got married and have stayed married. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But let's welcome Manish back. Manish, welcome to Modern Widow Podcast. Hey, Sherry and Fran. I'm so delighted to be back. It's lovely to be here with you. Hi, Manish. We, we always like it when you come on. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Manish, you are uh, an American-born Indian, and I love Indian culture, and I love matchmaking, and I presume that they still matchmake in India. As a matter of fact, there was a there is a Netflix series out, and I believe it's called Indian Matchmaker. So could you? Yeah, wasn't it good? The first yeah, season it's, was. It's was very great. interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. And the matchmaker was an older lady and she lived in New Delhi, I believe. Yep. And American Indians would fly her over to the U.S. to matchmake. That was impressive to me. So why don't you talk a little bit about um, matchmaking in India? I believe matchmade marriages are either called arranged marriages or maybe just marriage. And if it's not a matchmaking arrangement. It's called a love marriage. But then again, I could be totally wrong. Yeah, that, well, that's generally Manish, the ballpark. Yeah, Manish, we, we've all seen movies and, and read books um, that, that talked about uh, the that type of arranged marriage. Um, I'm interested to know, uh, obviously, it still exists, but I'm, I'm curious what it what that looks like in modern times. My parents had an arranged marriage. My grandparents had arranged marriages. Now, so it's the, the concept has um, adjusted with modern times a bit, not, not, not as much as maybe could be needed. But, uh, you know, in uh, my parents' generation, and we're talking, uh, they would have been married, like in, they would have been of age in the 60s. Grandparents are going back further than that. But the idea was, and in some ways, for those who've studied um, the history of the concept of marriage in what was what in Europe was referred to as the Middle Ages, marriages were alliances between families, right? And so families are joining together, understanding that they are combining reputation, they're combining resources, um, they're pledging mutual support to one another in a way, right? And so it, that this idea of arranged marriage is a bit rooted in that, that, that a, a marriage is a, an alliance between families. And, and insofar as, as it served economic and political purposes, there's also the religious and social purpose. Let me add that in. In the traditional Hindu notions of, of marriage, you did not marry, well, I, I don't even like this languaging, but sometimes what's, what could be said beneath you, right? So you married people of similar social, cultural, religious standing as you. Ideally, if you can marry up, that's a that's considered a boon, but at, at a minimum, similar was, was preferred. And as all those things were considered, the economic, the reputational, the social, cultural, religious, all that, the kids really 
didn't have a say. I mean, what they thought about it. I mean, in the perfect universe, it's lovely if they agree and if they even like who they may be getting married to. But love was optional. Like there was no, there was absolutely no expectation that people would love one another. And in fact, it was considered selfish that you, you, what you care more about your feelings than about your community, than about your family. Hence the counterpoint, the language that's the counterpoint to describe an arranged marriage that serves family and community. The counterpoint to that is love marriage because love marriage traditionally was considered a very selfish, self-centered thing to do. So it's not actually, a. I think some of that valence or that the judgmentalness around the phrase has probably dropped in the contemporary time, but it used to be a very judgy kind of thing to say, oh, you've chosen a love marriage. Well, that's telling us something about you and where your priorities are and what you care about. The modern version of all this, so with with changing times, uh, by the way, arranged marriages have not gone away. They still totally happen in the very ways I just described. The softening of that in, in modern decades is introductions. So the parents will help, the parents are often the primary matchmakers in Indian culture. You can't have an external matchmaker, which could be a religious figure or a social cultural figure, somebody socially networked, or it could even be somebody with religious credentials that could serve as a matchmaker. But in the absence of those external matchmakers, the, the parents are the primary matchmakers. So they do, they do introductions. And you may be even permitted in this modern, more flexible version, go out on some dates, see how you all like one another. Hopefully there's a spark. And if it's, a, if it's both families have introduced the kids to each other, there's some level of parental buy-in that the primary matchmakers are buying in to the possibility that this might work out. So, so if it does work out, great. And in the in the modern version of that, that matchmaking process could continue for a while, year, couple years, maybe. But it's often not indefinite. The you know mo- often parents will will push for a child at some point in time, their their son or daughter to to make a decision to decide who that match is going to be that the parents also approve of. Now, then you've got the even more modern versions of this, which can include uh, app based dating, but you're still only looking for other people who are Indian. There are in the in the when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, before the uh, invention of apps, it used to be newspaper ads, very, very common for matrimonial ads to be taken taken out in newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, but there too, there would be vetting processes that were usually happening side by side, even as it might be a blind match via newspapers. So that's a little bit about the structure and format of some of that. So how, how old would the two parties, the boy and girl, how old might they typically be when this whole process starts? Do, do some of them still start at, at birth? And is it is it really locked in? Okay, so we're getting into history, tradition, and culture all at the same time. I mean, historically, and it's a maybe you would say a rural-based practice and, and cultural, depending on the region and all that. There have been notions of these family alliances getting expressed as families committing to the future marriage of their children that are still minors, like even young kids or whatever. Um, and usually if that com- there are ceremonies that can capture that, but the actual coupling and living together and actually being married wouldn't happen until later. That, that sometimes is referred to as child marriage, but it's not 
doesn't capture some of the nuances. That phrase doesn't capture some of the nuances that I just even described there. My grandparents, the, uh, my grandmom, uh, you know, the story goes, I, I don't know, uh, I wasn't alive, but I, I, I understand she was married somewhere at the age, between the ages of 12 and to 14. My grandfather, her husband was 17 when they got married, you know, so I hear story in my own lineage. I've got some of that. My own biological parents, they were, would have been in their early twenties when they got married. It has always been in Indian culture and continues to be, even though it's uh, absolutely unfair, more stigma attached to women who may delay marriage or choose to wait as opposed to uh, a man choosing to wait. And in the contemporary understandings, people getting married in their mid to late 20s or even early 30s is, has become far more acceptable. And the more Western, westernized and Western educated a family might be, the more likely they are to, to mimic some of those Western patterns of typically partnering up in late 20s, early 30s. Well, what happens if it, what happens if it doesn't work out? Well, that's a fabulous question. So, so think of the, the, the values I described at the beginning, right? In any concept of arranged, and I'd say even often in these introduced marriage scenarios, you're not marrying for yourself. You're marrying for, again, community and family. And so the obligation is on the two individuals to make it work. And so the primary ethos is sacrifice and compromise, for this, not for the sake of the marriage and your partner, for the sake of your extended families, for the network of families that you are connected to, you make it work. Now, you and I know that it, life is not that straightforward and that high of a bar on a, on a concept such as just sacrifice to make it work, that can lead to suffering, it can lead to abuse, it can lead to a lot of very unhealthy dynamics. So, so yeah, I mean, when I was growing up in the 70s or 80s to get divorced in, in Indian American culture, Hindu American culture, virtually unheard of. I mean, the stigma was so intense. And it's perhaps more acceptable now, but that doesn't mean it's without stigma. So are they shunned by their families? And and Sh uh, Sherry will remember this having seen the Netflix show Indian Matchmaker. You may remember Sherry, one of the one of the women that is being matched, she's a divorcee. And you oh, could right. hear and the matchmaker had to have this horrible, horrible conversation with her about how her matrimonial options are limited because she's a right. divorcee and the stigma of that. I mean, it was I, I felt embarrassed watching all of that. Mm -hmm. I, of course, I felt I felt badly for the poor woman who's mm -hmm. being treated like a pariah, even by her the matchmaker that she's paying money to to fix her up. You know what I thought was interesting about that show? And I watch a lot of Bollywood movies and they kind of use this or do this in their movies too. People from different regions in India, you know, that that can be a conflict. You know, you're both couple or the couple is not both from Punjab, or I guess that's how you would say it. You know, they're they're from different areas and in India and that also causes conflicts. Yes. Yeah, so that when I use the word culture, Culture, it's often social standing, reputational standing, economic standing, cultural location, social cultural location. That includes factors such as region, region, linguistic affiliation, what languages do the families speak, crossing Crossing any of these lines within the context of Indian culture is challenging. 
any of them, economic standing, reputational standing, linguistic, you know, linguistic cultural location within the subcontinent, all of those things are typically factored in to a matchmaking yeah. process. It's very interesting. Now, were your parents and your grandparents, were those arrangements by a matchmaker or by the families? Families. The families are typically the primary matchmakers. To turn to an external matchmaker, often there are fees involved and things like that. So that involves a certain level of what you could say privilege, I guess. Mm. Well, also on the show, the matchmaker show, she was she lived in New Delhi and they would fly her over to the United States. So yep. we were talking about uh, the show. Yes, they are privileged. They are an upper class of people that are hiring a matchmaker from overseas. And the other thing she looked at was um, astrological signs. I thought that was interesting. She was trying to match up that besides everything else to match up. Yes, I didn't mention that. So so among the many considerations, let's add yet another. Um, the the It's birth charts. So birth charts in, in within kind of a Hindu and Indian context, uh, they are they're not the Western understandings of the zodiac and all that it's it's specific to a star chart that existed at the exact down to the minute time of birth in a specific geographic location wow. so the what the sky looked like from that specific geographic location down to the date and minute of birth that defines a star chart or a birth chart. Those, there's a, you know, ancient thousands of years old systems of astrological interpretation of birth charts. And so let's assume all the other things have happened, the, the cultural, reputational, you know, all that, all that matching, including the parents of the two families kind of deciding that they are the right fit for each other for all these reasons. Then the neck uh, included in, among, in the vetting process is a vetting of astrological charts yeah. that is usually done by a priest uh, who is yeah. specializing or skillful in this type of astrological interpretation. Yeah. So a priest can technically, technically say, no go. I looked at these charts and uh, yeah, I understand the, the two young people like each other. It's, it's not the right cosmological fit. And it's a no-go. Or they could say, yeah, they could try it out, but then they have to do these things. And there might be uh, uh, suggestions for how to mitigate any any negative negative things that might be residing in an astrological chart. Now, you're, now you, keep in mind, you're asking somebody who's of Hindu origin, but I identify as Unitarian Universal. So I have my own kind of... Uh, <laughs> biases and critiques and under, you know, understanding and experiences of the things that I'm describing to you. Uh, mm -hmm. But people devoutly, devoutly will, you know, get these star charts kind of checked and vetted, not just for the purposes of marriage. I mean, this, this is also often turned to for day-to-day -day guidance. Star charts are often turned to for advice on how one should be living or navigating challenges in one, one's life. Hmm. And Manish, there's a whole Bollywood movie about this where this couple, their their stars did not align. 
And so yeah. they had to go through all of these rituals to get to the moment where they could actually get married. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Which is an interesting thing, friends. So think about the people you've matched up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who are happily together, the three couples you mentioned. And I have one such experience on my end of uh, randomly introducing two friends together, thinking there might be a spark and then, you know, long-term committed relationship emerges. And there's no one way to find our, 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 our path to love. I I think that's the important thing I would say today. There are, there are many ways to find our way to love, and some of them are culturally defined. Indian culture has many very specific ways to wind up there, uh, but so do other cultures and other ways of knowing and being. Well, yes. that phrase has been used a lot through through the years, like just in common everyday uh, speaking, if and when the stars align. Right, right. It's a phrase we use, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. Well, the three couples that I fixed up as an amateur matchmaker, one was my college roommate, and I fixed her up with a young man at the time that I grew up with. We lived on the same lake. He was a good friend, and they had been married for 47 years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yes. And another couple, this was interesting. He was a divorced minister, the Church of Christ, and she was a divorced minister's wife who I taught with. And so they were approximately the same age and he was dating someone and he had introduced me. We, we were very good friends. So he had introduced me to the lady that he was dating. And I said, uh-uh, that's the, <laughs> that is not a match, just FYI. So I said, I happen to know a minister's wife who is divorced. And so I fixed them both up. I had them over for dinner, and they got married and lived a lovely life. Um, I know he is gone now. I'm not for sure if she is still alive because they were older. But mm. that was a very successful marriage. And the third one is my favorite one because my mom worked with the gentleman, and he wanted just to go out on a date, just to take a woman out to dinner. And I worked with the lady, and she said, I'll go out to dinner. I'm not getting married. Okay, this is just dinner. And so they go out and then the date went fine. And then he asked her to go on a canoe trip down the river the next weekend. They did that. He proposed. They got married. Oh, just like oh my gosh. <laughs> just like so that. Much for her, so much for her saying she wasn't getting married. <laughs> Right. That's well, it, it felt right. And it was right. They were married and, and he has recently passed. But I love those three stories because mm -hmm. there was love and it was lasting love. I think I know the first couple and they, yes, oh. they've been together forever. Yeah. Yes. Between my first marriage and my and when finding Jeff, meeting my, my spouse, I think it was a couple of years. I want to say like somewhere in the three to five year range where I was single doing my own healing and growth work and then trying to meet people. I mean, I had so many experiences, Sherry, I can't even tell you of, of people that for me, not for, not in general, but they were not the right fit for me. And for me, it was practically an undateable individual. Like the fit was so wrong, so mm -hmm. off. And it's discouraging, you know, that that could be an interesting topic to explore in the future. Just the mm -hmm. how do you stay in it when you keep having discouraging experiences? And they do happen. And I'm so sorry you had that experience. Please don't give up. I'm, I'm rooting for you. 
grateful for the time with you today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, thank you for coming back on the show. Manish, we always love talking to you and listening to all of your experience. You're quite worldly, and I love yeah. it. Yes. You're, this was um, very, very informative, uh, n- not only for our listeners, but you know, I, I found it very informative. I love hearing about different cultures. Well, it's a privilege to be with you both. I, I uh, absolutely adore you both and, and really support what you're trying to do, which is help others continue to step into the fullness and possibility of life. And happy to be with you again anytime, it, anytime the fit is there. Thanks, Manish. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. We want to thank our executive producer for her continued expert advice and critiques of our podcast. Many thanks to Parkner Studios for mixing our audio. Special thanks to our guest, Reverend Manish, for making our podcast so informative and beneficial to our audience. Of course, we always want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in and listening each week. And Fran, we did receive a comment from one of our previous shows, and this is written to us by Catherine. And she wrote, I think even a woman who has been blindsided by a relationship breakup can benefit from your podcast. Catherine, thank you. And that was so nice of you to write to us. So we always love hearing from our listeners. And thank you again. If you would like to write a comment, our email address is modern.whittle.podcast at gmail.com. Once again, modern.whittle.podcast at gmail.com. And you can listen to our podcast on the following apps, Anchor, Spotify, Breakers, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. I'm Sherry. And I'm Fran. And next week, we're going to share an article that talks about getting out there and finding love no matter your age. We have to tell you, it is a heartfelt, touching story. We loved it, and we know you're going to thoroughly enjoy it. This week's quote comes from um, Aziad Abdelnour. Time decides who you meet in life. Your heart decides who you want in your life. And your behavior decides who stays in your life. See you next week. Bye-bye. You're the oldest. Yenta has to make a match for you before she can make one for me. Oh, Yenta, Yenta. Well, somebody has to arrange the matches. Young people can't decide these things for themselves. Well, she might bring someone wonderful. Someone interesting. And well off. And important. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find. Catch me a catch. Matchmaker, matchmaker, look through your book And make me a perfect match Matchmaker, matchmaker, I'll bring the veil You bring the groom, slender and pale Bring me a ring, for I'm longing to be The envy of all I see Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match Find me a fine, catch me a catch Night after night in the dark I'm alone So find me a match of my own
interested in a match, Hava. I thought you just had your eye on your books. And you have your eye on the rabbi's son. Well, why not? We only have one rabbi, and he only has one son. Why shouldn't I want the best? Because you're a girl from a poor family. So whatever Yenta brings, you'll take. Right? Of course, right. Huddle! Oh, Huddle! Have I made a match for you? He's handsome. He's young. All right, he's 62. But he's a nice man, a good catch, true? True. I promise you'll be happy. And even if you're not, there's more to life than that. Don't ask me what. Bride. He's handsome, he's tall, that is, from side to side, but he's a nice man, a good catch, right? Right. You heard he has a temper. He'll beat you every night, but only when he's sober. So you're all right. Did you think you'd get a prince? Well, I'll find the best I can with no dowry, no money, no family background. Be glad you got a man! Matchmaker, matchmaker, you know that I'm still very young. Please, take your time. Up to this minute I misunderstood that I could get stuck for good. Yenta, see that he's gentle, remember you were also a bride. It's not that I'm sentimental, it's just that I'm terrified. Matchmaker, matchmaker, plan me no plans, I'm in no rush, maybe I've learned. Playing with matches a girl can get burned, so drink me no ring, prove me no groove. Buy me no buy, catch me no catch, unless he's a matchless guy.